Hey everyone, my name is Ajay Tucker, host of the Ajay Tucker Podcast, the only tennis comedy podcast that talks about our political and societal culture as a whole. My name is Ajay Tucker, as the name would suggest. How are you guys doing? Hopefully you guys have had a good weekend. Last time I talked to you guys was on Thursday. And before we get into the sports, I just want to say a belated Martin Luther King Jr. Day to you guys. If you guys don't know about Martin Luther King Jr., then... You might be dumb. Maybe. I don't know. That depends on other qualifications. But, yeah, obviously Martin Luther King Jr. Day was yesterday, and I feel like it's important to at least, you know, talk about it a little bit. Um, Obviously, Martin Luther King Jr. was a very... To me, I think he's, like, one of my most influential people in American culture as a whole because, obviously, he did fight for civil rights, and that's awesome, that's commendable, and... Obviously, that was very needed at that time. I didn't know I would be starting this podcast with Martin Luther King Jr., but uh, obviously it's important and imperative. If you haven't listened to the I Have a Dream speech, go listen to it. But at the same time, he was also an ardent socialist who fought for labor unions and labor rights and really exposed the Vietnam War for what it was. And he was so powerful that eventually the powers that be got to him and again he was just an individual that really cared about workers rights cared about the average individual and to see how watered down his legacy has been i mean that's not obviously that's it's less than ideal and you know what we're taught in public school about Martin Luther King and just about school in general about Martin Luther King is that he was this nonviolent uh, civil rights leader and while that is true it, it doesn't tell the full story so I thought I thought it was very important for me to at least you know talk about the importance of Martin Luther King and um, yeah he's he's a great player no he's not <laughs> he's a great player in other in other uh in other ways, if you know what I'm saying, you know, <laughs> he's a great player in other ways. Nice save on my part. Uh, but yeah, he's obviously an individual that, you know, doesn't get the shine that he deserves. And, you know, when you hear his opinions on capitalism, on the free market, on, you know, essentially what is a populist approach to politics to life in general and while again i'm not a socialist by any means there are arguments that he made that made me realize oh we should be rethinking this we should be rethinking about our vietnam war we should be rethinking about just about labor unions in general and just about how we treat our middle class and he had a lot to do with it and hopefully we can continue that through other movements and fight for the common person, you know. Hopefully that that can happen. All right, now that I got that out of the way, uh, R.I.P. Dr. King. Uh, but now that I got that out of the way, uh, football happened over the past two days, and the Buccaneers got into the NFC Championship, which is amazing because I didn't know that I didn't really expect there to be any form of a win for the Buccaneers, mainly because of the fact that they were 0-2 against the Saints, but they were able to manage a win. You know, Tom Brady was able to manage the game and really cement himself as the greatest of all time if he didn't do that already. He sent the Buccaneers to their first NFC Championship game in like what I assume to be in over, over 18 years he now has gone to the 14th championship game and again that just adds to his legacy and i'm 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 rooting for the buccaneers even though i wanted chiefs packers to be the super bowl i want the buccaneers and preferably i want them to face the buffalo bills not only because of the fact that the buffalo bills have been starved for a championship they are a snake bit te- a, a snake bit team that really haven't won anything notable in their entire franchise. But at the same time, I just want to see the Buffalo Bills win because it will be so fitting and so serendipitous to see the Buffalo Bills 
being sidelined in the AFC East for nearly 18 years because of Brady, have a successful year, win three straight playoff games while having their last obstacle be Tom Brady. That would be the most fitting way for the Bills to lose. Now, I like... I'll be honest with you, I like Buffalo. Not because it's a glamorous city. It obviously isn't. But because it is a blue-collar city that is composed of working-class individuals who occasionally like to dabble in the opioids. You know, they like to dabble in it. And it would be very fitting to see that trash town that has a lot of history and culture behind it. And culture and history behind the team, not so much the city, but... It would be awesome to see it happen in real time, seeing that that sadness in that in that environment, in that city. It would be quite hilarious if, if that happened. Obviously not ideal, you know, but it would be hilarious if that happened to be the case where for nearly 20 years, this quarterback was able to sideline your team. And the one time that you're able to go to the Super Bowl, that same quarterback also happened to be the last obstacle you had to face it is it is poetry in motion it is serendipitous to say the least and that would be an ideal super bowl obviously you know my my prediction was chiefs packers even before the playoffs i mean i was texting with my uh, good buddy uh john about this and you know it's i mean it obviously would sting if my preseason prediction would be wrong but again Buccaneers Bills is a great Super Bowl that will elicit a reaction at least from Buffalo I don't know about Tampa Bay's fan base I don't think they really have a potent one yet that may change due to Tom Brady and due to the team that he's having right now but yeah that would be completely ideal obviously Aaron Rodgers has had a pretty good season um again 48 touchdowns, nothing to laugh about. He's an amazing quarterback. But I do think that if he does lose against Brady, then you might as well see the implosion of that team because I I do feel as if Aaron Rodgers' time on Green Bay is ticking. And you can see it with how they drafted Last year, I mean, they drafted a quarterback early in the draft, and as a result, you're seeing this sort of collusion between the owner and between Aaron Rodgers and with the coaching staff, similar to what you saw in 2015 with Brady, Garoppolo, and Belichick. Obviously, Brady won that Super Bowl, and honestly, that's my favorite Super Bowl that he's ever won because it was 10 years after the third Super Bowl he won. It was right after Deflategate. There were so many questions as to whether or not he could win the big one. It was back at the same stadium where they lost to the Giants with that David Tyree catch. They were down 10 points, 14 to 24, entering the third, like the last half of the third quarter, early fourth quarter. They were able to stick it to the Seahawks. Malcolm Butler was able to make a name for himself. They had a great defense. It, it was all the pieces fit into one. And... If anything, Aaron Rodgers, with the team that he has now, needs to win the Super Bowl. It's Super Bowl or bust for Aaron Rodgers. And if he loses, then you're just going to see the the gap between Aaron Rodgers and Brady that much higher. And I have a feeling that Brady's going to win because Mike Pettin is the defensive coordinator for the Packers. And... He usually plays zone coverage, and if there's one thing that Brady is good at, it's picking apart zone coverage. Ask the Steelers. They have lost to Brady a handful of times to a much better coach, defensive coordinator, with, you know, obviously uh, Mike Tomlin at the helm of the Steelers of Pittsburgh. But, yeah, I think he's going to pick them apart on Saturday, I think. that That's when the game is, right? I think Saturday. I think you're going to see a lot of... It may not be a blow-up, but I don't think it's going to be as close as, say, the analysts may may say it, it will be. So, yeah, I highly suggest you guys watch those games. And, yeah, I definitely hope that we can see 
a lot more progression with these games. I mean, these past games were not that... I mean, they were interesting, they were fun, but the referee, the refereeing, the officiating kind of got in the way, especially with the Tampa Bay-New Orleans game. I mean, you could obviously see them like sort of favoring New Orleans because of that story with uh, Drew Brees and him, his last game at the helm being the quarterback of the uh, of the New Orleans Saints. But yeah, uh, hopefully you guys check those games out because they're highly entertaining to watch. And to some less entertaining news, I mean, actually... This is kind of entertaining, if depending if you like off-court drama, off-the-court drama. But let's get into some tennis news. I, I think you guys would be interested in hearing some tennis news. So, Ben Rothenberg, obviously, the the perfect, the most perfect last name for covering tennis. Perfect last name. I love that name, Ben Rothenberg. Uh, it sounds like the, the, the quarterback for the Steelers. But Ben Rothenberg basically tweeted out a video of the late-night Australian news team going after Djokovic, and Djokovic was seen not wearing a mask, going in between hotels, in in between shuttle cars, and demanding demanding outlandish services uh, for the Australian Open. Now, before I get into this, let me just say, I think it's highly elitist for Djokovic, of all people, to be complaining about the pandemic and honestly these past few months have really exposed Novak Djokovic for who he truly is and again I understand where you know his support and his yearning for better amenities and services may come from don't get me wrong I'm I understand where that that situation may lie and I understand where that is but at the same time it just comes off as highly elitist and it comes off as extremely corny and, above all else, the least bit self-aware. The least bit self-aware. And, again, he may say, oh, you know, I may, I'm caring about the other male tennis players and their services, and I'm just trying to be an, an ambassador to the game. But Djokovic, you haven't really been that great of an ambassador during this pandemic. Let's just call it like it is. You haven't. And to say that you you uh, you care about the services and amenities to the other players, I understand where you're coming from. But if anything else, these lower-ranked tennis players should be the one, should be the ones that are complaining. You know, I mean, again, weren't they incentivized to not bring that many people in so that they could make more money, apparently from the Australian Open officials? And again, I'm not defending the officials of the Australian Open. Obviously, they have their own fair share of problems and criticism, and, and I think it's important to call them out on it especially when they haven't been treating low-ranking tennis players that that better, to be honest, to be quite honest with you. But I mean, I just th- I just find it so sad to see Djokovic be like this. You know, again, if you're an individual who lives in Australia who took coronavirus seriously and followed this uh, healthy precautions to combat this virus, wouldn't it be a little weird if this person out of the country decided to come into your own country and criticize your own government and criticize your own people and did so while sp- spreading corona without a mask? I mean, again, who knows? Maybe Djokovic is asymptomatic at this point. I don't know. I don't know about Djokovic's condition, Novak's condition. But again, it just seems so, so tone deaf on his part. Again, I was seeing Chrissy Everett defend his behavior and saying, oh, no, it's important that players get their treatment and get their uh, due diligence. But again, this is coming from Novak, a multimillionaire who's complaining about not getting specific court time. Like, oh, the horror. I'm, I'm getting, you know, millions of dollars playing a sport in a pandemic where where my where my usual demo is corporate execs at J.P. Morgan. Oh, the torture, the, the absolute pain. Stop. This is, this is extremely childish behavior on your part. And again, it exposes him for, again, not, <laughs> not necessarily taking this pandemic seriously. Again, Nick Kyrgios actually called him out on it on Twitter, which, again, Nick Kyrgios, ever since the pandemic has started, has been right with criticizing Novak Djokovic. And especially how you saw him 
hanging and boozing and schmoozing at the club without a mask on during a pandemic, during the height of the pandemic, five, six months ago, yeah, Nick Kyrgios has every right to call out no Novak Djokovic. Every right to call out Novak Djokovic. Every right. Every right. Now, Nick Kyrgios also called out Bernard Tomic's girlfriend, which I, I don't really agree with. Again, I think wives and girlfriends should be off-limits. Again, I think they should be off-limits. It should just be on the core, but knowing Kyrgios, leaving wives and girlfriends out of the occasion is uh, not necessarily what he's best at doing. But again, like apparently Bernard Tomic's girlfriend was complaining about the food that was given to them, which I guess is uh, understandable. I mean, if you're a tennis player, you should be in your tip shot, t- top shape in a major, especially if your major is the uh, the difference between you actually being on the ATP circuit versus not being on the ATP circuit. But at the same time, his girlfriend is like a reality television star. So it's a little hard for me to reconcile between you caring about the food and you not washing your hair with the fact that you are a reality TV star. Because if you are a reality TV star, you're probably going to get attention wherever it is. And you're going to be so desperate for attention that it may even go against what you may think is the better part of your judgment. Again, whenever I see a reality television star, it's like, oh, you're, you're so desperate for attention that you'll do anything, if not everything, to get it. It reminds me of that Bo Burnham joke. I think it was the Artist Dead song that he recited in one of the specials and in the green room of Paul Provenza. The green room, the green room with Paul Provenza is like basically a podcast before a podcast. It was basically comedians circle jerking one another and telling people how great they are. But I mean, he was right. He, I mean, he basically said in the song, "My drugs attention. I'm an addict, but I get paid to indulge in my habits." And that's basically art in it in it of itself. It's attention in it of, in it of itself, and basically highlights and exposes uh, how much of a drug attention is. <laughs> and again, I love Bill Burnham. You know, check him out. Uh, go watch Eighth Grade if you haven't. A great comic, a great comedian, a great artist. And again, him calling out, you know. People like Mark Maron and Ray Romano and Gary Shandling and all these older comedians that generally look down on these younger comedians. And again, you'll see this at every comedy club, in every green room, even behind younger comedians' backs. I, I just thought it was amazing. And you should go check a, check that video out if you haven't. Nothing has been more succinct or more forthcoming or, or telling about our society and about our, cult, our current culture at, at large than that video of him at the piano singing how art is dead it is amazing you know and again you know there were people that were supporting Djokovic and I'm completely surprised by it uh, again uh, Owen from the Tennis Nation which I highly suggest you check it out Tennis and Bagels pod, podcast. Eh. The Tennis and Bagels podcast. He writes for Racket Blog. Highly suggest you check him out. He talks about past and previous, past and current tennis players, tennis matches on that podcast. If you want a brief history lesson on tennis, I suggest you check that podcast out. But he basically tweeted out Nick Kyrgios, the new Nick Kyrgios uh, Djokovic spat, doesn't really reveal anything new about either of them. Djokovic is still someone who tries to help others, even as if it isn't fully thought through. And Kyrgios is still someone who enjoys starting drama. That's true on Kyrgios's part, but Kyrgios is still right, and you have to give him the credit of, the, uh, of that. I mean, <laughs> again, how elitist and how tone deaf is it when you're the one complaining about coronavirus but not really taking it that seriously? How elitist is it when you're the one that again, hasn't really taken the proper precautions to combat it. You know, do you really want there to be a second coming of the French Open? Last year's French Open where multiple people got presumably food poisoning? (laughs) 
where French officials, French Open officials didn't take it seriously and allowed you to do whatever you want, whenever you want. Do you really want to see a continuation of that? Because tennis players were complaining and bitching about that as well. So what is it? Do you want to have proper guidelines with uh, strict rules and uh, uh, applications to follow? Or do you want to be carefree and follow the French Open? Again, it's up to you. You know, if you want the French Open, then you have to come with the cost of it. And that French Open nearly derailed tennis, not only because of the food poisoning and sickness that occurred on that Open, but because of the abuse allegations against Alexander Zverev. Again, you can you can continue this. You know, you can continue the French Open, though, an Open that, by all means, was not necessarily successful on the ATP side. On the WTA side, you actually saw a lot of tennis stars shine through. And again, I want to make this abundantly clear. It's not just Djokovic complaining and bitching and moaning about this. It's also Belinda Bencic and Elise Cornette. And actually, Elise Cornette actually issued an apology, which may be half-assed, but nonetheless, an apology, uh, no less. And even today, Victoria Azarenko was also complaining about it. And hers was a little bit more thoughtful and how we should all think about this time and you know, live with compassion. But at the same time, if you're going to get the casual viewer to watch your product, having this mentality to the virus, to a country that has taken extremely, has taken the virus extremely seriously, I don't think that's going to benefit your cause. (laughs) But Kyrgios had every right, every right to call you out and... He adds to the sport. Kyrgios adds to the sport. Whether you like him or not, that doesn't matter. What matters is the attention that he brings. And by all means, I think he's a skilled tennis player. I don't think he'll ever win an Open or a Major. But he brings eyeballs to the sport, and you have to respect him for that. You truly, truly do. Apparently, Anna Wintour is thinking about buying the Tennis Channel, which I, I guess that's good news i mean talk about helping out the common person to be fully invested into the sport i mean first novak djokovic complaining about coronavirus and how his thousand dollar meals are not too are not that up to par with what he's currently eating or how his preparation has changed i mean if you want to bring in working class individuals to watch your sport, obviously you should think about having the founder of Vogue and the Met Gala to buy the tennis channel. I mean, that just brings in the common man, the common fan, the casual fan. I mean, think about being a coal miner in West Virginia, having 10-15 minutes of, of break time and watching the tennis channel and saying to yourself, wow, I can't believe Anna Wintour is really buying the tennis channel. I mean, that really brings a- around class relations through the sport of tennis, you know? Or what about your manufacturing workers in Wisconsin and Michigan? I mean, that definitely benefits the overall class structure of tennis. <laughs> Or what about your union worker in, in Butler, Pennsylvania? I mean, this definitely brings out the best in mending relations and bringing together individuals to fully be invested in the sport of tennis. I love I, I like Anna Wintour, not because of her fashion, obviously. That's that's you don't even you don't really have to say the fashion in and of itself. I just it'll be awesome if I was like. If I just attended the Met Gala, that would be amazing. Like I want, I want to be able to drink the baby blood. I want to be able to be able to chew on on uh, hearts with Army Hammer. You know, I want to be able to do all of that and more. I want to be inducted to to the powers that be and be inaugurated in that in that worship. I, I think that would be awesome. Is it too, uh, is it too uh, early or too late to uncork that wine bottle that is Army Hammer? 
coming out coming out as a cannibal. Uh, let me talk about this. <laughs> it's, I, I guess it's too late. Uh, I've already uncorked it as it is. So Army Hammer uh, basically has been uh, alleged to sending or soliciting text messages about and Instagram po- and Instagram messages about sending messages to uh, to to several women about wanting to eat out their heart and being basically very uh, borderline uh, sadistic and and uh, uh, just plain out weird when it comes to his uh, sexual kinks. And to me, when I saw Army Hammer before the news and allegations, I was like, man, if there was, if there was ever a person to play Patrick Bateman in American Psycho, it's definitely Army Hammer. Definitely, definitely Army Hammer. I mean, apparently, like to me, when I look at looked at Army Hammer, that was to me the most waspy dude in Hollywood. I mean, he was up there with Jared Kushner in terms of his waspiness. I mean, the way that he would structure his sentences and his overall cadence of words and trying to sort of be show his sort of cla- I don't I wouldn't want to say classism, but like his sort of cadence and structure of of completing sentences i mean it was very waspy i mean the way he dressed it was all leading to what i would presume to be a a, a bidding role a bidding war for a role that was best fit for a, a mass murderer a mass serial killer in 1980s america you know that's what i thought of army hammer and these allegations only want only make me want to support him more. You know, I, I want to see him be able to to do it. You know, I, I really want him to 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 be Patrick Bateman. I really want him to see him. I really want to see him succeed in that role and to thrive on that role because usually those are the roles that allow the best acting. You know, I mean, don't be surprised. Don't be surprised if these allegations are untrue and he decides to play American Psycho whenever they decide to reboot it because it will be rebooted. I mean, there's a there's a cult following for it as much as I don't want to have there as long, as much as I don't want there to be a reboot for American Psycho. It's inevitable for it for it to happen. I mean, Hollywood films and Hollywood, the Hollywood machine in and of itself just cares about making a return on their investment. So I, I want I want to see him succeed and thrive in that space of of being a, a mass serial killer who also happens to return some videotapes. That would be ideal. I want to see him succeed. I want to see him do it through Patrick Bateman, and hopefully, hopefully we'll be able to see him. Yeah, I think it would be awesome. All right. Um, I wish there was like an ad read so I could break up the sort of stream of consciousness sort of ideas. I don't even really want to call it stream of consciousness. I'm just, I actually prepare for the, for these podcasts. Uh, I have like a Google, Google doc sheet, you know, saying, or basically highlighting what I want to talk about and structuring what I want to talk about and formulating what these what these uh, positions can be, but, you know, hopefully I can get some ads uh, to sort of break up these sort of uh, sporadic, sporadic uh, talking points that are affiliated with these particular headlines and news stories, but I don't know. I, it says here political staff is angry at Ben Shapiro for writing a column. Should I, should I talk about this or? Because whenever I see, apparently the political staff is mad at Ben Shapiro for deciding to write a column. They're mad at the head management for allowing Ben Shapiro to write a column after the Capitol Hill riots and protest. And honestly, I'm surprised to see people have not caught up to this sort of game that conservatives have been playing which is projecting themselves as victims projecting them themselves as as outcasts and how they're how people are trying to limit their free speech and how cancel culture is a pertinent issue because 
news stories like that and people that follow that ideology and follow uh, and support political staff banning Ben Shapiro from writing a column, they're just helping him. That's all you're doing. You're just getting more clicks onto his platform, more clicks onto his Twitter, Instagram, to the Daily Wire, to what he has to sell. And it just creates an environment that elevates Ben Shapiro's speech even more. Right? If you're going to beat a troll, and I don't really consider Ben Shapiro a troll. He does have troll-like tendencies, don't get me wrong. But if you're going to beat a troll, you don't just give him more attention. You simply avoid him at all cost. That is how you beat a troll. Or you normalize his opinion so much that what he says is not necessarily as barbaric as what they want him or what, what he wants it to be. Because that's his bread and butter is making money off of liberals trying to be triggered over his words. And if you are mad and disheartened and show your displeasure to upper management about this, then you're only helping his cause. You're only helping the clicks and the revenue that he'll generate and accrue because of the news that you made out of nothing. That's essentially what tribalism and getting mad at things for the most silly, inconsequential inconsequential reasons is essentially just making news out of nothing. And that's what he did. He made news out of nothing, and Ben Shapiro's making money out of this. You know, you're only helping Ben Shapiro. And to me, when I look at Ben Shapiro, many people say he's a fascist, that he's a right-wing uh, a fascist, that he's a that he's an extremist, that is a, na- a white nationalist. I don't really agree with Ben Shapiro, don't get me wrong, but he's not a white nationalist. He's not a fascist. That's not what I would describe Ben Shapiro as. If anything, what Ben Shapiro is, is basically a, an establishment Republican that likes to act as if he's going against the grain, right? He likes the aesthetics of punk rock, but when you look at his positions and when you look at his ideas on how the world should be governed, I mean, it's basically zombie Reaganism. It's tax cuts, it's deregulation, it's free trade, mass immigration. I mean, these are tenets and beliefs and ideas that fit under zombie Reaganism, that fit under establishment conservatism. It fits under the Republican Party banner that has been in effect for over the past 40, 50 years. 40 years, I should say. Ever since Reagan got into office, they've sort of drifted into neoliberalism with uh, virtue signaling to uh, white Christians in the South. That's basically the conservative message. So when you essentially give him more ammo, he's going to run with it, and he's going to use that attention to his advantage and sort of parlay it into the Daily Wire, into his YouTube channel, into other programs that he has. And overall... He makes a benefit out of it and more benefit than, say, him writing an article would for political because political for, political for the most part has been not necessarily the best when it comes to giving out information. So, again, if you're going to be Ben Shapiro, just normalize his opinions or just don't give him the attention he wants. You know, If you look, look at the Daily Wire... And this is more to Ben Shapiro's point of whether or not he's a troll. I don't think he is, but when you look at the Daily Wire, it's essentially a conservative website under the guise of the culture war. I mean, every article is just the culture war. They will have headlines such as, Christy Nome shoots a bird with her gun. Liberals are triggered. I mean, that's a, that would be a headline, or it would be like, Andrew Cuomo gets owned on Twitter by Dan Crenshaw on whether or not masks have been effective. Or Dan Crenshaw argues with why Liz Cheney is the most important woman in, in the House of Representatives today. 
<laughs> I mean, that's what it is. Ted Cruz silences liberal schmuck that works at Google <laughs> with facts and reason. <laughs> I mean, that those are the articles that, by and large, have infiltrated the Daily Wire. It's It's not necessarily pertinent information. It's not necessarily... Uh, economic or policy issues that would generally benefit the middle class that are often on the populist perspective, I would say, in terms of having a protectionist economy, in terms of rethinking our wars and bringing troops home from from Afghanistan and Iraq. And I'm filming this on Donald Trump's last day in office, so I'll get to what Donald Trump should do on his last day of office uh, relatively soon. But, I mean, that's what the Daily Wire is. Liberal college student gets triggered and goes to a safe space with Michael Knowles saying that men are not women. XD. <laughs> those are, those are uh, the articles that you'll see on the Daily Wire. $7, please. $7 a month, please. <laughs> I know I'm making fun of Ben Shapiro too much. Again, he's like a multi-millionaire uh, who will soon be a billionaire uh, whenever he sells the Daily Wire to Facebook or Spotify or Pandora or any of these uh, content hosting websites. But it's 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 fun to poke at Ben Shapiro because even conservatives on the right like to poke fun at Ben Shapiro. And again, rightfully so. I mean, he's a, he's a funny dude who, who generally doesn't really understand the plight that people are facing today. Apparently, Glenn Greenwald, I think about a year ago, uh, basically quote tweeted a video of Ben Shapiro saying how we should not have empathy in politics, which by and large, I I don't even know why <laughs> individuals are supporting you know, Ben Shapiro after that video. Obviously, I understand why. Uh, that's a lie. I, I understand why people are supporting Ben Shapiro. I mean, obviously, there are times where you know the liberals are are so gung ho about the cultural issues that it's so funny to make fun of them whenever they're they're bitching and moaning about ten year old tweets and supporting cancel culture. Even though I don't really think cancel culture is that bad of an issue as what people are thinking it is. It's just a small contingent of people that are extremely vocal on social media. But it is funny to um, uh, to see uh, people go after Ben Shapiro. And that empathy video that he decided to 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 put out there on his show, I I I, I don't know. I, I felt it was too uh, it was too narrow minded. And if if you're a politician, I assume that you essentially, especially if you're an establishment Republican, even if you're an establishment Democrat. I think that you are no different than Ben Shapiro. You may disagree on cultural issues, you may disagree on transgender bathrooms, but economic and foreign policy issues, you are right up there with Ben Shapiro. I mean, you 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 definitely believe believe in the free market, and the free trade, and the and the sort of worry about the debt and the deficit and GDP. Uh, that's up there. That's right up the lane of Ben Shapiro. So. Again, I think the political staff generally shouldn't be angry at Ben Shapiro, not only because it gives him more attention, which we do live in the attention economy, as I've made that abundantly clear with the tennis news about Bernard Tomich, his girlfriend, and with Army Hammer and with the, with the topics that I've talked about today. But again, it just comes off as elitist and... Again, Ben Shapiro, not a person that you want to listen to when it comes to <laughs> when it comes to having a difference of opinion when it comes to uh, your establishment conservative outlook. Now, I think Ben Shapiro is important. I think Ben Shapiro is important because he allows you to get a glimpse as to what these conservatives are really like. And I'm not saying that you should, you know avoid having a conversation with him. You should. You should have a conversation with him. You should really find the nuance with your opinions and positions. And who knows, maybe having a conversation with Ben Shapiro could change your opinion on the cultural issues. But if if you're gonna 
If you want to avoid Ben Shapiro, either just normalize him or just stop giving him the attention he wants. That that is if you want to avoid Ben Shapiro at all, at all cost. For me, I I'm sort of in the middle. I don't really care <laughs> about the political staff. If you want to make fun of Ben, if you guys want to uh, ostracize Ben Shapiro, go do it. But I I don't want to be in that wheelhouse because you're only adding fuel to the fire. I feel like I've divulged enough information on Ben Shapiro for that. So basically this this podcast is filmed on Donald Trump's last day in office. And I want to make this very clear. And I think this is something that a lot of Democrats in general, especially people on the populist left on the democratic socialist side of things, should also understand is that no matter how you may view Donald Trump, and no matter what the media media will say about Donald Trump, because they will give him the Nixon treatment, they will definitely give him the Nixon treatment. But no matter what your view on Donald Trump is, he is still not as bad of a president as, say, George Bush. No ma- Again, I'll repeat this. No matter what the media will say, George Bush was still a far worse president than Donald Trump. And all I have to say with George Bush is 9-11, starting two forever wars in Iraq and Afghanistan that we're still in. Hopefully we can pull out of those wars, but knowing the MIC, they will find new wars to create. They'll find new enemies to find. They'll create new enemies that make no sense, whether it's Venezuela or Bolivia, maybe even China. But believe me, the MIC will find new ways to create wars with Iraq and Afghanistan. Two elections, again, going back to George Bush being a far worse president, two elections that were widely contested. And yes, the 2020 election was contested. Well, I'm not doubting that. But again, the 2000 election was highly contested. He won a state with his brother as a governor of that same state. A little questionable on his part. And with the 2004 election, there were some voting irregularities in Ohio that often get overmissed. So again, two elections that were that were widely contested and were questioned by Democrats in charge. An increase in manufacturing jobs shipped overseas, which again basically brought Barack Obama, who campaigned on abolishing NAFTA and bringing manufacturing jobs home. Well, (laughs) how did that turn out? So an increase in manufacturing jobs shipped overseas. Hurricane Katrina, which was basically the highlight of, or essentially the, 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 the moment where the powers that be turned on the average individual living this in this country the average poor individual poor person of color that lives in america today it was very telling of how they treated poor people in 2006 it led to kanye justifiably stating how george bush doesn't care about black people i don't really again you can argue about the specifics of, of that but Hurricane Katrina definitely did not help that cause. The 2008 housing crisis, which we're still in today, I mean, we're still being affected because of the housing crisis and with the subprime, with the subprime mortgages that were dealt to young, impressionable people that just wanted to raise a family and to, just wanted to provide for their family. Again, 2008 housing crisis, it, was, it basically let off these banks off the hook. And if... The CIA is still not listening to the, this RSS feed. They definitely will after this uh, episode, based off this title alone. Uh, so hi. Uh, kind of weird how you would uh, tune in after the death of Dr. King, but uh, uh, the death or the anniversary of of Dr. King's birthday. But hey, who am I to to say who you can peek at? <laughs> Apparently the. Uh, the Associated Press says, uh, said that uh, they're cracking down on RSS feeds sooner than later. So don't be surprised if this RSS feed gets cut out. Which, by the by the way, I picked the perfect time to start a podcast as soon as 
there happened to be a war on terror. But again, going back to going back to why George Bush was worse, the Bush tax cuts. I mean, that added hundreds and millions of dollars to the national to the national debt to the deficit at that time. And again, it was during those eight years you saw George Bush have a lot of support and essentially universal support for the 9-11 attacks to then not only losing the House leadership, but also the Senate leadership by the end of his eight-year run and approval ratings that were basically in the uh, in in the 20s and 30s, especially with Dick Cheney as, as charge. And if Donald Trump really wants to upset the established order and really wants to make a lasting effect on society or in America at large, on his final day in office, which is today, he should... Pardon Assange, pardon Snowden, pardon Bobby Shmurda. Apparently he pardoned Little Wayne, that's great too. I'm not saying he shouldn't pardon Little Wayne, but pardon Bobby Shmurda, right? That man was the biggest rap star back in 2015, 2014, 2015. Please help him. Like, like I want to hear that rap song again. I can't say it because... I want a career and I want to I want to be able to last in the industry and succeed and thrive on my own and you know obviously I don't want to be fully accepted by the powers that be but I, I want to you know tangibly work with them and you know get somewhere but again that that song was was amazing and there were so many iterations of that song that happened later on because of the success of it especially with uh, 50 Shots from Kev from the New Gang. I highly suggest you check it out. Kev from the New Gang, 50 Shots. Um, take away the vowels from the New Gang, so just the consonants. Kev, consonants only, the New Gang. But yeah, I mean, if Donald Trump really wants to create a lasting effect and upset the people that derailed his presidential uh time in office because he basically governed like Mitt Romney then I highly highly suggest you pardon Assange pardon Snowden and pardon Bobby Shmurda and pull out of troops from Iraq and Afghanistan I mean you have the most uh, power when it comes to foreign policy so pull out of the troops from Iraq and Afghanistan like you said you would and just let chaos ensue that's what I would say Last day, you're not going to do this because you're lazy and you're. You generally just watch uh, Sean Hannity and Tucker Carlson at the last ten minutes of Tucker Carlson and Sean Hannity. By the way, uh, Pamela Anderson basically went on uh, Tucker Carlson and advocated for the pardoning of Julian Assange. So, if Pamela Anderson is advocating for the pardon of Julian Assange, you should probably listen to her because she is a celebrity, and if there's one thing you know more than anything else, is that a celebrity getting done or celebrity getting things done in office has way more lasting effort or way more lasting impact and way more newsworthy than, say, your run-of-the-mill politician. That's just the, that's just the most basic fact when it comes to politics. So pardon Assange, pardon Snowden, pardon Shmurda. That will be my podcast title episode. Do that and you will be forever in the hearts of everyone. There was that scene from The Dark Knight where the Joker goes into Harvey Dent's hospital room, and basically this was the part where Harvey Dent basically had half of his face like burned off due to the gas and fire explosion that happened when he was uh, uh, tied, behind, or tied in front of a chair. Uh, so what happened was essentially a game of heads and tails where the Joker brought a gun and aimed it at him, aimed at him through or with Harvey Dent's hand while he was laying on the hospital room. And he was like, upset the established order and everything becomes chaos. And you know, the thing about chaos, it's fair. Be the Joker to the deep state's Harvey Dent. Do it and you will be loved forever. 
You may not be loved by the establishment. They're going to give you the Richard Nixon treatment, but you will be loved. And with that, I'll give you a, a recommendation that I watched. Uh, and this is something that I've watched on and off more often than uh, once. But I highly suggest you check out Dove Davidoff's Not the Perfume, The Comedian, Filthy Operation. A great special. Highly suggest you check them out. Highly suggest you check that special out. It's on YouTube. It's an hour-long special where Dove Davidoff, a Santa comedian, goes up on stage. And the stage is littered with trash everywhere. And as the comedy special progresses, the jokes get darker, more brooding, and the trash gets heavier. And he starts to throw things on the ground and starts to kick things on the ground as he paces from one side of the stage to the other. And again, it's a great special. It's a very stream of consciousness special. And again, it's up there with the likes of Bill Burr and George Carlin, even though I'm not a big fan of George Carlin. It's a great special, and you guys should check it out. I highly suggest you check it out. At 57 minutes in total, uh, that special is. So if you're able to listen to this podcast, I'm sure you'll, you'll be able to listen to that special. But it's just a great special, man, and I highly suggest you check him out. Highly suggest you check out that special out. And it feels like an hour-long therapy session. You know, it really does. And the best of the best are able to take therapy sessions and make it fun and enlightening and at times uh, fun and enjoyable. And again, that just separates the Dove Davidoffs from your other comedians that are too cheap to afford therapy and just use the stage as their outlet to share their feelings. So Dove Davidoff, Filthy Operation, definitely check him out. He's no Sarah Cooper. You know, he's no Sarah Cooper. He's no, he's no, uh, you know, Chelsea Handler, but he's a great comedian. He, I think he does the comedy seller. And I know it's no Killing Him Softly or it's no For What It's Worth, but it's no uh, Raw or Delirious, but it's one of my favorite specials. You know, it's up there with the Alto Lunches, with Love at the Store, with Thoughts and Prayers, from Mark Norman, Draw Carmichael, and Anthony Jeselnik, uh, specifically in that order. But Dub Davidoff, Filthy Operation, can't recommend it enough. Go check it out. And with that, that will be the end of the podcast. Guys, thank you so much for tuning in. Hit the subscribe button down below, the notification uh, button as well, the bell icon as well down below. And hopefully you guys can stick around for Thursday. I'll probably break this podcast up into clips, so uh, bear with me here. Uh, this might take a, a, a bit of a time to upload this episode on YouTube, but I highly suggest you uh, enjoy your next two days. Hopefully you guys can stick around by Thursday and, and enjoy that those two days because uh, I, I, I sincerely, I sincerely uh, want you guys to do well and to rest and to, to you know, just to have fun, you know. All right, guys, I think that should do it for me. I've mumbled and rambled too long. this uh, So, yeah, hopefully you guys can stay well. And see you all on Thursday. See you all.